Well, we thank you for this opportunity to be here today to discuss a very important topic. We pray that you help us in the presentation. Would you prepare our hearts, Lord, for what your word says, Lord, and for, for what um, experience and things that we share. We just ask you, Lord, to let it be a blessing to everyone who's here. Help this to be the beginning of a lot of sharing during the rest of this week, Lord, and, and ongoing, that we can work together um, collectively as a church family to help raise children that are God-fearing and become godly men and women. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As I mentioned in the uh, commercial, we didn't want to do this form. Um, and I, I'm sure that if I asked anyone to take our place here, everyone would feel the same as us. Like, but it's, there's a lot of great information. We've come across some really neat things in the past that have helped us. Um, in preparation for this forum, uh, we were given a book, or said, look up this book. It's a great book. And we read the book um, called uh, Age of Opportunity, A Biblical Guide for Parenting Teens. And um, it's, it's really a neat book. There's a lot of times where I read a book where I'm like, oh, some part I don't, I don't like so much. But wouldn't you agree that on balance, it's a scripturally-based book, and it's a good book, and we would encourage you to read it. It's got a lot of great insights in there. We're, a lot of, not all of, but a lot of what we're going to cover today is stuff we've gleaned from the book, as well as smatterings of our own experience that we've learned the hard way, um, and some other techniques that we'll cover in a bit. So anyways, to begin, parenting teens, age of opportunity. What does parenting teens feel like to you? Torture? Okay. Exciting? It would be cool if this thing continued to work. That's interesting. There it is. What's that? Oh, maybe I have to point it here. Thank you, Philip. See, as a body, we have all kinds of that. We just got out of a class that way. Thank you, Philip. Is parenting surprising to you? Yeah, could be surprising. Um, Pressure-filled? Perhaps. How about gut-wrenching? It's good this is before lunch. Oh, and I just, I heard there's sausage on the menu, which is really nice. Challenging, yes. Can it be rewarding? Absolutely. Can it even be a blessing? It can. Not always, but it can be a blessing. Um, when you sit through a forum on parenting or finish reading a book on parenting, what's the normal reaction? You get through it, you're like, wow, that was inspired. You feel inspired. I'm like, I got some new tools at my disposal, some great things to try. But you know what you also feel? You feel this. You feel like, oh man, I'm not doing a good job. I feel depressed. I'm regretful. I'm missing the mark. So it's really a combination of those things that you feel. And we understand that this may happen today. Um, but it happened with us too as we read this book and just look back on our lives as parents. Um, a challenging thing. So, maybe that. Goals for today. Um, we want to instill hope in you. Uh, even though this is a difficult thing at times and uh, challenging in a lot of ways, we want you to walk out of this forum feeling hopeful and understanding that for those of us that are parenting deans, we're all in the same boat 
and we can work together to try to make things uh, better. Let me read a little bit about Ephesians 3.20, which says, Now to him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. We want you to feel empowered as parents through the Spirit, what the Spirit can do. So that is one of our goals for today. We want all of us to grow in our parenting skills together by sharing together um, after this forum is over, by talking over the dinner table, lunch table, what's worked, what hasn't worked, so that we become a community of people that are more transparent um, in raising our children. You know, it's been a theme at Eastern Camps in recent years. It's been very exciting where we're becoming more transparent with who we are. We don't come to camp saying, oh, you know what, look at our little perfect children here. Everything's going great. And inside we're struggling. No, we, we've gotten away from that, and it's very exciting as a fellowship to do that. And we need to step it up in the parenting realm because um, it's challenging to talk about when we feel that the, the things are not going as good as we want to as parents um, of teenagers. And we need to be more transparent, share more about it, and talk about the goods and the difficult things uh, that are happening. Um, we want to raise children that are biblically mature, that understand the role that the Bible plays in our lives as parents. Uh, we want to raise children that are light and salt in the world, even from a young age. We want them to be able to feel like, you know what, in school, sometimes you're going to catch some heat for your opinions and your approaches to life. That's all right. Because the people in school, I mean, if you're homeschooled, it's a little bit different, but you're still in the world with groups of people. Um, the people in school, these are not the people that are going to stick with you for life. Your family does. Your church family does. We've instilled that to our children from the very early age that, that don't worry so much about the teachers and the kids in school. They're friends, make good friends, find good friends, but, but ultimately, they're not going to be long-term in your life. They really aren't. It's your church family that you really want to have a focus on. Um, we want our children to have children a mentality that they need to be contributors to the kingdom. Um, even as people that are, children that are not believers yet, Preteens and teens, they need to start getting engaged in the process of being part of the church body, being members of the kingdom. Even before they're believers, they can get a kingdom mentality of, of starting to participate, um, whether it's as a student in the class that they're in in Sunday school. They need to participate, be part of the process, make it easy on the teacher by answering questions. Who cares if you're wrong? Answer the question. Be part of it. And obviously be lovingly devoted to Christ and underpinning everything with an understanding of what we do, our church service, all it's all part of the love that we have for God and the love we have for Christ and what he's done for us. So that's important. Am I doing this next one? Yeah. Okay. Our history. Uh, we're parents of three children. Kelly is 20, no longer a teenager. She's lived to beyond teen years, which is cool. Kevin is still alive at 16 and Drew is 12 almost 13, also still living. We're thankful for that. I'm, I'm being a little bit facetious, but the reality is, you know, so much stuff happens in life. We're thankful that they're as far as they've gotten in life. Um, and uh, ooh. Um, as parents, we have ups and downs with raising our children. We have challenging areas. Each of them has different challenging areas that they're in, and um, there's times you're laying in bed saying, where do we go from here? Um, and a disclaimer as well is that this, that we've kind of already said, you know, we, we are not parenting gurus by any stretch of the imagination. We've made our fair share of mistakes. Um, 
And we're here just as servants of the body to say we've got some great information that we've learned over time and through this book, and we're going to present it and hopefully have a great dialogue. But um, if you're going to run up to us all week with uh, questions about how to do this or that, we're going to say, you know what? We don't know what we're doing a lot of the time. Maybe there's a couple areas we might have a suggestion in, but as a group collectively, there's a lot more strength and force in us as a group, and that's really what we want to foster here today. Um, reference list. We, in talking about this forum, we kind of talked about um, three different things that kind of probably the biggest in external impacts other than what we learned from our own parents and from talking with, with people that we know and love. Um, we listened to a, um, a tape series as very young parents, I think when even Kelly was on the way, right? Um, does anyone hear of Growing Kids God's Way? Um, I don't remember that much about it. I mean, I know that it was a lot of great information. We did absorb a lot from it. I think we learned a lot. One of the big things we got from it was to have a God-centered home instead of a parent-centered home. Was that the phraseology that they used? Child-centered home. Um, yeah. Because um, the trend in society today is to have a very child-centered home where you're really focusing on them, they're the center of your world, and uh, they kind of dictate everything. That's really not the way we want our families to run. God is the center of our home, and we're in charge. Um, so that's really what we learned from that. And the one thing about that tape series that I'll say in, in light criticism is that the one thing that graded me about that, and we don't want to be that way today, is that this, this couple that did this tape series, and you're going to smile when I say this, they did everything perfectly. There was never a situation that they couldn't handle. And every problem, they used the technique, and what happened? A perfect result. Johnny said, Mommy, I understand that I did wrong, and I'm apologetic for it. How can I make it up to you? And I want to also repent to, you know, come on. I never heard a single story. Does anyone remember a single story on there where, you know what, we made a mistake, and our kid did this, and it turned out bad? So it really kind of it graded on me. We're not that way, and I want to make sure that you don't walk away saying, hurt things just like that tape we listened to 20 years ago. <laughs> Love and logic, I don't, we didn't do a lot of research behind this, but this, has anyone ever heard of Love and Logic? Um, it's used, uh, at least in our school system, it was. I don't know if it still is because they're always doing new things. But they actually had a seminar that we were able to go to for free that was maybe a half a dozen nights. Talked about love and logic. And uh, again, this was something that we really, um, certain things really were impactful for us. I'll share a story later about how it worked well. But it really, the idea was, um, and correct me if I'm wrong because I didn't think about preparing this too much, but... A lot of the premise of what they did was this, that you know what, you have to raise your children with a logical understanding of the ramifications of life. Um, they need to understand that their actions, their activities, result in negative consequences. And one of the big things they always said was, let's say that Johnny's outside playing near the house with a hard baseball with his friends. And you've told him, you know what, across the street in the park is where I want you to play, but don't play in our front yard because we've got a lot of windows, Johnny. So... All of a sudden, the window's broken. Johnny comes inside. His head is hanging. He knows what happened. The window got broken because he was playing in the front yard instead of the park. Well, you know, you can go scream and yell at him, but the reality is, love and logic says this. Okay, what happened? I played in the front yard, Mom and Dad, and you told me not to, and I broke the window. I feel really sad for you. I, I'm... 
I can understand that you feel really bad, and I feel really sad for the problem that you're in. They always said, you have to express sorrow for your child's dilemma. Because all of a sudden, you're almost like on their side as opposed to, you broke the window, I told you 45 times not to play the front yard, Leanne. You're confrontational. Love and logic said, you know what? I, man, that's such a bummer because you know that windows are pretty expensive. And what do you think would be a good solution to this serious problem that you have now? Well, I shouldn't play in the front yard anymore. Absolutely right. And I should uh, sweep up the glass that's broken. Absolutely. What else? would a young child with your problem maybe do or offer? Well, maybe I could help Dad fix it. That's part of the solution. What other problem have we not addressed? I don't know how much windows cost. Yeah, they're kind of pricey, but, you know, maybe we could work out some kind of a payment plan. Would that make sense for you? Yeah. So you see what's happened? Instead of confrontation where I'm grabbing the child and anger and say, you know what? Because the kid already knows what he's done. He knows it's a problem. I need to empathize that, you know, I feel bad because it's going to take you months, Leanne, to pay that off. But we're going to find a payment plan that works for you and maybe some chores that you don't like to do that you'll have to engage in to help earn the money to pay that back. So the idea of that whole premise is Empathize with the child's problem, even if it's if, even if it's obvious disobedience to you. Empathize, you, you know, it's a problem. I feel bad, and then don't tell them the solution. Ask them to devise ideas and ways, and and don't say, well, if I were you. So no, a child in your position might suggest this if they're not coming up with the they need to be financially responsible for that window. So again, once again, it's not like I'm dictating to them. It's almost like they're coming up. They say, mom and dad feel empathetic that I broke the window, and they're helping me come up with solutions. So it's a much less confrontational approach, so we really like that. Um, and it also, it also really forces you to make sure that children recognize that th this is their deal. There's a problem here that they caused, and they, they need to find solutions out of it instead of me saying, okay, step aside, I'm sweeping up the glass, I'm taking care of the whole thing. So not to go into that too much, but that was... Um, a concept that really, I think, helped us as parents. And the last thing is parenting teens, which is a lot of our focus today. So, nature versus nurture. Um, <clears throat> our three children are not super rebellious yet. Our last one is 12. Who knows what he's going to reveal? He still has potential. <laughs> we fully realize that there's a, a nature level here that I was not real confrontational with my parents. Where's Brother Bob? Was I, was I, as a young man, in your face, demanding answers about Scripture a lot? Really? No, I wasn't. I, it just wasn't my nature. I'm not saying I was perfect. I, did a lot, I was very good at subterfuge and doing things behind my parents' back so they would never know. I'm sure we came up with a very good argument for that. Neither of which worked for No, did not work. Um, but the point is that was not my nature, and you were not, um, I think you were not that, more so than me, more so than me. But um, 
On a scale of 1 to 10, you were not a 10 causing huge nightmares. Mom and dad? Mom and dad? Not super. I'm not saying there was no rebellion. I'm saying it wasn't a huge issue. And the point is, so it's not that far reach to say our children in having similar demeanor may not be that way. Understood. The point of the matter is, um, there, some of the problems that are existing are, are you know, um, our personality are, are just who they are as people. And like I said, we, Andrew is different than the other two, and we don't know what's coming with him. A schlingel is the word that I think of. Um, and then the other side of it is nurture. You know what? Um, uh, that there's obviously certain things that result from your children as a result of nurture. On the good side, meaning there's good things that we've done as parents, and it's resulted in good attitudes and approaches to the children. There's other times where the way that we do things has not been good, and from the nature of how we parent, it hasn't turned out well. That's just the way that it is. And I could cite numerous examples, but it's not a great thing to do right now because my kids are all here at camp. Rebellion, big red letters. Is that the toughest, hardest thing for parents? Well, the reality is it's not. What's worse than rebellion? It's having a godless child. A lot of times when we talk to other parents, we talk about our kids and the problems, we talk about the problems of rebellion and disobedience, and we say, oh, my kid's really rebellious, and you could have a child that was not rebellious at all, maybe like I was as a child, and not in your face, not getting in trouble in school, and yet in his heart is a sinister stole that does not love God, wants nothing to do with church. Maybe he comes every Sunday, but he's completely disengaged, or she, and they just can't wait to move out of the house and go their own way. That's far worse than a rebellious child. And that's really, um, I say that because we often kind of put the rebellious child as that's the epitome of parental failure. And it's not because there's a lot of rebellious children here that are elders today. (laughs) And I'm not saying this from experience, only from stories that I heard from the pulpit. (laughs) And I'm not mentioning any names because we're taping here. But there is chuckling that people hear on the tape. Anyways, and I'm not suggesting that anyone was the worst, but the point is is that rebellion is not the worst thing. The worst thing is a child that is rejecting God and hates church and does not want to participate in a godly life. So, am I going to turn it over to you soon, soon here? Good. Okay, so I'll, I'll be on. Um, we kind of covered this a little bit already, but this forum will have no value if we're not committed to share. Um, at first, we were scheduled Friday afternoon, and Tom and I were kind of bummed, not because um, we need to be Tuesday morning, but first of all, it has your hap- holder. Um, first of all, it's hanging over your head the whole week, so you've got this cloud and you just kind of want it to be done so you can breathe a sigh of relief. But second, um, we were glad to see that it was moved up because we really want couples to share with each other. Um, that's really where the learning begins, the um, practicality begins. 
But just a, a word of caution, when you do share stories with one another, just be careful of your teen's privacy. You don't want to betray them or make them feel like their news is on the front page. They're very sensitive to that, as we would be too if someone was talking about us. So just keep that in mind. Um, so we encourage you to find a, a couple or a parent to share with this week or in your home church and, and keep going with that. And to be transparent and not to put a facade on. If, if we go around pretending that everything's perfect and um, we are not struggling with anything, isn't that a waste of time? I, I really feel like that's Satan's tool of keeping us isolated and, and making us believe that no one else has the, this problem. We're the only ones that are struggling with our teen. That's just not true. We all have issues. So let's just bring those masks down and be real with each other. Um, the last point is uh, it's really difficult to take advice from someone else about parenting. It's one thing to get advice about something personal about yourself, but... <laughs> Stay away. Um, but to get parenting advice is, I don't know, for some reason even more personal, more um, hard to take. So we just need to be sensitive to that. Thessalonians, it says, Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even also, even as also ye do. That's, I love that verse. Just, you know, comfort yourselves together as a group. And whatever dilemma situation you're in. Go ahead. How do you feel about the rain? Well, coming from the east and going to the southwest, I feel very differently. Um, and it can change your perspective when you're going through a, a gloomy winter or spring of a lot of rain. It can become depressing. Um, and we can look at the teen years like that, like oh, all these problems. I'm really not looking forward to becoming the parent of a teenager. I just heard it's just the worst time in, in your life. Or it can be, well, rain can be a welcome in that desert. And so we want to try to change our perspective on those teen years as looking at the problems as not problems or rebellion or stress, but as opportunities. So let's change and shift our focus. Changing, oops, changing our focus from fearing the teenage years to God will provide. There's a good verse about that. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so will I be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. From being cynical about the teenage years to having a positive outlook, like, yeah, this is such a great opportunity. I mean, think about it. You have this privilege that God has given you with his children. They're not really yours. They're his children to mold and shape them into loving him and loving Christ. From surviving the teen years to the privilege of being a parent of a teen, from teen problems to opportunities. So we hope that at least one of the goals that we achieve today is that you look at this time in your life as an age of opportunity and, and not to fear it and not to um, be afraid of it.
priming the pump. Um, what do you do to prepare ahead? If, if you have teens that are coming up soon or you have early teens, um, there's things you can do as parents to kind of prime the pump, to kind of prepare them for that time when they're going to have those teenage year issues coming up. Um, mostly, um, we want to set high goals for our teens. You know, we, we've, from the time our kids were young, we've always talked to them as if, without a question, they're going to be Christians. They're going to be baptized in our church and be Christians and dedicated to our church. That's like, we talk about that as if, you know, when you get baptized, we, we don't act like, oh, you're going to have to make a decision at some point. Who knows where you, no, we're, we presume and have the highest expectations for them, both in terms of being believers as well as serving the church. Um, you know, we, they see that we're engaged in our church wherever we live. We've always been engaged in our church services and the things that we do. We try to use the talents that God gave us in the way that's appropriate. And we want them to, at a young age, realize that that's the expectation from them uh, at a young age. We want them to be positive about the fellowship. Um, it's interesting. We, we've been around people, both from our church and not from our church, Christian families, and we've, we've sensed from them um, a lot of negativity about the fellowship. Driving them in the car, complaining about the sermon. Kids talk about, you know, Bible class, Sunday school is boring today, and there's just a negative idea about the fellowship. And the talk in the, home, on the way home in the car is, oh, someone said this to me. And can you, believe someone that said, you know what? We, that, it always happens. You talk about life and maybe some negative things that happen. Maybe there's a sermon that, you know, you didn't like. But generally speaking, we, we need to foster a positive approach about that. We love our church. We really do. Collectively and our local congregation. And we need to let our children know that. The predominance of our discussion about church needs to be, oh, well, that was an amazing sermon. Did you, remember, did you hear that story? Did you guys listen to the sermon today? It was powerful. We, we've had our kids on the way home say, so-and-so's sermon today was amazing. And there's times where I didn't even necessarily think it was as powerful for me, but it impacted them. I said, isn't that great? I said, I'm glad that you were listening and listened to that story. Even the youngest sometimes, like, yeah, that was kind of a scary story. I'm like, wait, I'm glad you're listening. Because it's easy to tune out. You know, we don't know what that's like. So it's important to have a really positive approach about the fellowship. I mean, the, the bottom thing, if it's not in your heart, if you don't love the church, you're not going to be able to fake it. And unfortunately, your kids will not love the church. If you don't love Christ viscerally, your kids will not. So I'm not saying fake it. I'm saying find a way to love where you are and enjoy where you are and become engaged in your fellowship because it's going to impact your children. And the people that are most critical about church, what are their children like? They're gone. They're not in church. They're critical. They're gone. Encourage participation in service. Um, even at a young age, our 12-year-old participates when they change the sign-up. We have a new sign-up in front of church that's got the movable letters. You can put, you know, what's coming, youth sing, or there's phrases. We try to change it every week. It doesn't always happen. But um, different people take turns, and our boys are supposed to be out there participating because that's something they can do. They can spell, and it's actually, no, you don't have to spell. It's like, that's what you're doing this week. Put it out there. Um, and it gives them a sense of ownership and makes them realize that not everything happens automatic. Minister doesn't get up and just preach a sermon off the seat of his pants and not even read the Bible. No, he's reading the Word. Sunday school teachers don't just show up and wing it. Maybe once in a while. 
<laughs> um, you know, but, you know, the light bulb is out this week. The next week you show up, the light bulb has changed. Wow. A tree lost a bunch of limbs. Well, move it to the side. You can do that. It's important to have them physically engage. And self-examination. Um, it's important to train them as we have to train ourselves to look at ourselves and say, what am I doing? How am I participating? Look at my life. You're part of a church, even though you're just a kid. Participating in Sunday school is your duty to speak up. Don't just sit there. The teacher does not want you to sit there. You've got to step up and do your part. And be aware of our own idols. Um, this is kind of a cool thing that we got from the book. Very interesting point. Do I idolize my own comfort so much so that the teenage years are disrupting my idol of comfort? Do I idolize respect? That if I see a little bit of disrespect, someone doesn't clean up their room and I take that as disrespect to me, I go off the handle. And it's not so much that the room should be clean and we have rules in the house, but because I feel disrespected, I idolize my level of respect that I receive. Do I idolize my need for appreciation? Do I get upset with my children because I don't feel appreciated by them? Because it's an idol to me. Success. Do I idolize my success as a parent? Don't you dare embarrass me in front of the church. You are coming to church today. I will not go to church without all my children. Is it because I really want you to be there because I want you to be present in the house of the Lord or because I don't want to be seen as an unsuccessful parent? It's kind of, all these things kind of shook me up. Control. We have control issues in our house. Sometimes firstborn children like to have their ducks in a row. And I've got two of them in my house. And they're dealing with men that are not firstborn children. And it creates a level of excitement. But the bottom line is, even all kidding aside, I'm so glad she's organized. Um, the reality is, if if my control over my children at this young age is easy because they're easy to control at two and three or four, all of a sudden, as the teens start growing up, I want to control them the same as I did when they were three? Good luck. Good luck. You've got a thin string on a bucking bronco. Have fun with that. So, why? Do we have conflict with teens? Why does it feel like it used to be so easy with this little pony and now I got this barking bronco that's going nuts? Well, let's talk about some of these things. We've got a big list here. I don't like having slides with tons of text, but only so much we can do. I'll just read these off quick. Individualism. They are starting to become their own individual. I'm not only, I'm not no longer Tom and Amy's little kid. I'm Kelly, I'm Kevin, I'm Drew. I gotta get a little distance from you guys. I want more freedom. 
I'm capable of crossing the street without holding your hand. Cut me a break. New, they want to find new things. They want to test boundaries. They want control of their life. I learned this thing from my sister as an educator for many years, Barb. Um, she said, at a young age, you have to give children a sense of control. Put out two shirts. They got blue shorts for the day, yellow and orange. Both match. Drew, do you want to hear the yellow one or the orange? All up to you. Go wild, man, whatever one you want. Oh, man. Invariably, they look at the door for something else. No, 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 this is the session today. But the point is, at a young age, you can do that and give them a sense of, of ownership of their life that they because they need to be able to make good decisions, train them up in that, and as a teen even. You know what? Um, oh, should I go there? I'm going to go there. <laughs> you know, we have a battle in terms of like the sequence of getting things done. My mother always said, work first, play later. I've said that probably, I've just passed 40,000, I think. Um, the problem is, it's not always what they want to do. Are they responsible enough to get the homework done if they come home and just chill for a half hour because they've been learning all day, they got to come home, Dad, i got to unwind. Okay, even though it's really not a decision that I want them to make, because invariably, when does it happen, babe? 45 minutes, an hour, and then 11.30, I'm in bed. I, you know, this thing about Mesopotamia. Dude, you are killing me right now. <sighs> and I, I kid you not. It's, you know, I'm not, it sounds funny, but it's reality. Do you understand? I'm in bed, and you're asking me about schoolwork that I begged you to do at 3 o'clock. But self-control is a big thing. They want to fit in. It's big for them. They want to be accepted. Uh, they want to find out who I am. I mean, that's what we're talking about this week at camp. Who am I? And their tendencies. They have an exaggerated notion of their own wisdom. Please, Dad, step aside. I can handle this totally. They're very defensive. You know, because they're starting to make do things on their own, when you suggest that the plaid shirt and the striped pants may not be exactly how you want to go out. Hey, 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 hey. This is what kids are doing these days. All right, whatever. The point is they, they, they tend to be very defensive, and you have to kind of walk on eggshells that are on them. They love to shift the blame. We hit the tree because he was trying to throw out the garbage on the side of the car while we were moving. I had to get close enough to the garbage can so it wouldn't be littering, Dad. That's why we hit the tree. It's not my fault, of course. No, that, not yet. yet. I was involved in some of that kind of stuff. That's where that came from. I'm sorry, but it's... Uh, they like to be legalists. You see, you're raised with a parameter, Christian principles, and all of a sudden, they like to turn the tables. Well, Dad, you know, after all, didn't you always say, bah, 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 bah? so, they tend to be poor listeners unless you're whispering. Right? What, what? You said my name? 
Kevin, can you take out the garbage? He's sitting right there. It's amazing. They are present focused. That is the age that they're in. They're present focused. They don't like to think about the future. That's why they think they're impervious to injury. Well, I, I didn't think about slowing down on the trail that turned 90 degrees right when I was going 35 on my bike because I was enjoying the ruts. I use it with the boys a lot. You have to think ahead. And let's say, let's say the worst possible scenario happened with the baseball. Yeah, that's why you don't play in the front yard. And uh, poor French rights. This is something that's, we've had good fortune with this. I don't know it's, if it's why that happened. Our kids, I mean, they've done a good job picking good friends. And as friends kind of degraded in their behavior, they've like pulled away from them. Um, we've always talked to them about the importance of good friends. And there's this uh, one boy that was uh, lived up the street, so was proximity, hang up, played, came to the house, played a lot. But over time, there came the year where, where Kevin was still young enough to have a birthday party, and he didn't want this kid to come. We're like, because a lot of the friends that Kevin now migrated towards didn't like this kid. And this was a kid that was... Uh, I remember one time, you know, the boys were young at the time, probably, you know, five and eight. And this kid told him that he was riding his, his cousin's motorcycle. He was going like 100, and like he had to lay it down right in front of a cement wall. I'm like, it was one of those lessons where we talked about, boys lie about stuff all the time. Probably, he was probably going four miles an hour, and he tipped over on a pine cone, and it translated into 100 into a cement wall. I said, he would not be alive today. The guy's a storyteller. I'm not saying he's a bad kid, but a lot of kids tell a lot of stories. Don't believe what you hear. And that was maybe like the first um, eye-opener to this kid is a storyteller, and, you know, and he's been in some trouble now, and Kevin, he goes to a different school partly because of the trouble, and I'm glad that Kevin was able to recognize I'm not comfortable where he's going. And find other friends. There's always another friend you can find to replace this one that you have to depart from. So, and maturity is not linear. This was kind of hard for us to grasp because you've got, you know, your first child coming along. It's like, oh man, look, look at that mature behavior today. She's nine. She's acting like fifteen, and then the next day it's like. A temper tantrum. Like, what? What happened to fifteen? As a nine-year-old, now you're three. It's it's disturbing, because one moment they're shining as this young adult, and the next moment it's like, where is this coming from? This, you're like regressing. I can't explain it. Get ready for it. Okay, this is a really important slide. Maturity. On the left, we have the teen mirror. Together, hair's taken care of, sophisticated, pen in hand, working hard. That is what they see in the mirror. And yet you and I, <laughs> that's what we see. And neither one is probably exactly accurate, but that's the problem, the disparity. They see that, and we see that. Uh, Tom, there's an apple tree in the back 
that I noticed that as soon as the as soon as the apples are getting ripe and good to eat, they fall on the ground. Can you take care of that? Yeah, I know it's it's kind of like walking around and my, is mine not working anymore? My, yeah, I, I see that. It's been a problem for years. I hate walking around in the mush back. There's like rotten apples everywhere. So I'll, I'll take care of it. I'll see in a few hours. Okay. I gotta take a shower, but the tree is looking awesome right now. Let me take a look. What did you? Good? What did you do? You stapled apples to the tree? I took down all the bad apples, all of them, and bought this cool staple gun. Bought a bushel of great ripe apples, and I stapled them on the branches. It looks amazing now. What you always wanted. So what's wrong with that picture? We call it Band-Aids versus surgery. We're taking care of the, probably the behavior. We're trying to control the behavior, but we're not dealing with the heart issues that are causing the behavior. So that's not going to be long-lasting. Uh, another issue is taking children's problems on children's problems on as our own. For example, the bus stop dilemma. Our kids take a bus to school and sometimes they get pretty close to missing it or miss it. They, they want to sleep in that extra minute or two. So it's not our problem that they've missed the bus. But we could take it on as ours. We could say, well, no problem. We'll take you to school. But they need to feel that consequence, like the love and logic that we talked about, of that action. They need to feel the, the pain of it. And so one thing that we've tried doing with our kids is, well, if you miss the bus, yeah, we'll take you to school, but it'll cost you a dollar for the ride. And they're not that anxious to pay the dollar. So they're much more um, proactive in getting to the bus on time. Just real quick, it, it used to be are you going to just switch be between us? Okay. Um, it, we used to be, con the boys especially, we would constantly nag them. Boys, four minutes, three minutes, get out the door. And it was a nightmare. And once we installed that, it's like, we're not going to tell you a word anymore. But if I got to take you to school, it's a buck. And you know what? Very rarely. But when they miss it, Making the problem about us, and we kind of touched on that about um, wanting to look like a successful parent. If our kids are doing something bad, it's really the, the issue is about what they're doing that's not right, not how it makes us look. So don't make it like, well, you're making me look bad, or um, I'm trying to think of another example. I'm getting dry right now, but um, it's, we really need to focus on the child and not how it's impacting us when we are interacting with them. Motivating through guilt, fear, or manipulation. I unfortunately have seen this in myself when I hear my kids do it. And I'm like, wow, where are they learning that from? It's from me. I've done that, you know. And uh, I see them doing it. They're mimicking that bad behavior. So we have to really be careful not to motivate with those tools. Um, using accusations instead of facts. A lot of times we'll jump to conclusions and um, not find out all the facts of what really happened. So we need to take the time to find out from our child what really occurred. Emotional reaction versus biblical approach. Uh, we often react out of emotion. We get 
or at least, I don't know, maybe you guys don't, but Tom and I get angry sometimes instead of just taking a moment and saying, you know what, I'm going to talk to you about this, but I need a moment to myself to pray. And uh, so we, we kind of jump in there uh, too quickly with our emotions. Uh, making decisions for our teens. Um, this is really hard to restrain yourself from doing because you, you see them making bad choices sometimes, so you want to go in there and be the rescuer. Um, so we have to really watch making those decisions for our teens. So, Mom, I'm going to need to ride over to uh, Bill's house later today because, like, there's a big thing going on there, and um, about 4 o'clock or so since it's Friday and I don't school tomorrow. Well, what's going to go on there? Um, just a bunch of kids going over. We're just going to hang out and kind of, um, you know, you know what? Like, give me well, more details. Oh, well, it's going to be a party, but it's not going to be a, a bad party. one. Yeah. No, you can't go. That's, that's it. There's just no way. You know me. I do not drink, but all my buddies are going to be there, and I, they've been asking me all day, you're coming, you're coming? I said, yeah, I'm coming. I got to go now. I said I was coming. No, go. you're not going. There's just no discussion about it. Okay, Mom. Four minutes later. I'm getting a ride from someone else. What, what would be, instead of her dictation of you're not going, what's a better solution? What's a better discussion? She came that, to that conclusion herself. And we're actually going to get into more of that when we talk about good parenting. Um, kingdom focus versus worldly focus. And we can often get caught up in, in the here and now, the materialism, the you know, what's important to us might translate to our kids, so we have to really be kingdom-focused. And um, hypocrisy, self-righteousness. Um, boy, I was riding in a van once, and I said to Kelly, she was in the back, and I said to her, well, don't you know I'm doing this for your own good? And God just hit me, boom. That's what I'm trying to teach you. And it's like, if we don't learn those lessons from our Heavenly Father, you know, we're being hypocritical if we're trying to get them to be instilled into our children. Last section is really about strategies. And we're going to blow through it fast because time is going quickly. Um, but we do have a handout that um, we're going to make available. I think they have um, different computer files. You can get PDFs of the presentation, but more importantly, the handout. So don't worry about all the details. We're just going to run through it kind of quickly and, and try to give you some information. But let me read a verse here about pursuing your teen. Let us therefore follow after or pursue the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify one another. Um, teenage years are years where they start to become autonomous. They start to have their own self. And as a result of that, they're moving away from us. And it doesn't mean that we have to grab them and stop them, but like the picture shows, we need to chase after them and still have some kind of a, a dialogue and a relationship that's, that's effective and important um, so we want to talk about strategies, and one of the first things that we got out of the book that was very strongly emphasized was daily conversations. Um, it's really, really important to be in a situation where you're having conversations with your child, with your teen, every single day. And it doesn't always have to be about a problem or a big situation or a spiritually hard are you today, son or daughter. Just have a conversation with them. And a conversation means not, not that you're having a sermon that they're listening to, but you're having a conversation. And what that means is <clears throat> you have to be able to ask appropriate questions, non-accusatory questions that engage them in a process. Let them know that 
by asking them, you want to hear what they have to say. Um, it can be uh, a light topic or a meaningful topic. It could be about the world, about a circumstance, about a political thing. Um, we often have conversations in the house where the kids are like, what's the big deal with this Trayvon Martin case? And I'll give them a synopsis and my own slant, whatever, but I'll try to explain to them why I'm upset about certain things or politics occasionally. Very lighthearted about politics in our house, right, Dave? Very lighthearted about politics. Um, but you know what? They, they need to have opinions and form opinions, and I want them to have opinions that are rooted in Scripture and, and, and with, with godly thinking in their minds. It can be about their lives. Yeah. Oh. Um, I, this happened to us very subtly with Kelly, where all of a sudden we're like, well, what happened? You know, you're, you're very involved as a young parent with the daily in and you know, the daily care that's very hands-on. And then your child gets a little older, more independent, and you're maybe not tucking them into bed as often as you were. And then you blink your eyes, and all of a sudden, you don't say goodnight anymore to each other. And then you blink your eyes again, and you're like, it's been a month since we've had a conversation. It's like one of those things that can creep in unnoticed because they're pulling away, trying to become their own individual. And all of a sudden, we don't even know what's going on with our kid anymore. I mean, that happened to some degree with, with our oldest, where we're like, well, how did this happen? And so just you really have to be proactive is what we're trying to say. And you want to be able to discuss problems with them, um, as well as spiritual progress. And sometimes those are a little bit harder to bring up if you know that that's going to bring in some tension. And, and maybe they won't necessarily have a great long dialogue with you. Uh, but if, if you're having conversations about all these other things, um, and now this one is maybe you're asking some questions and maybe they're closed off. At least that they will get the sense that they want to talk with me. They're talk talking with me a lot of things. And I don't really feel like talking about this topic today, and that's okay. But you asking the question, you probing about where they are, is something that it makes them feel like you care about them. Even if they don't have any interest to talk to you about it, asking the question or two, and you don't have to beat them over the head with it, say, you know, you're not into it, whatever. But asking the question alone is an important communicative thing that they're receiving that's important to them. And finally, remind them that um, life is a war for their heart. Uh, life is a war. There's a battle for their heart. Media's going after them. Politics are going after them. Teachers are going after them. Everyone's going after them saying, think like me, do like me, do this. And we have to battle for that and say, the Lord wants your heart first and foremost. And we as a family, we want your heart. So that's important. Okay. Well, just in the thing, I'll just real quickly, we've got a bunch of questions, and I'll just read them through real quick. What were you thinking at the time? Why was that important to you? What were you seeking to accomplish? What made you afraid? What made you angry? What did you do differently? What was going on? What were you thinking and feeling? How did you do that? Why did you do that? And what, what did you do and why? What was the result? You know, how did that work out? So those are some of the questions that we have as an idea. Teach them how to make decisions. We talked about this a little bit uh, previous, and, and uh, I had a great story about um, one of our children. He came home one day to Dad. Inadvertently, I cheated on a test today, and I feel so bad. Like, how did you do that? Um, this one child of ours, he tends to, um, not unlike me, speak out loud sometimes as he's thinking. Um, he'll be sitting at the, uh, at the table doing some homework, saying, uh, what is it? You know, he'll kind of talk out loud. So he was finishing up this test. People were walking in, handing in their test. A kid was sitting next to him. He's like, 
what is it, capital, whatever. It was just this obtuse little thing. And the kid next to him quietly says, you know, Madagascar, whatever. And he heard the answer, and he wrote it down and handed it in. Came home with this massive guilt. Because he wants to do, he's motivated to do well in school. He does very well in school. And he's like, Dad, I, he felt so bad. And I, I honestly, I don't know where that level of ethics came from because it did not come from me. I'd be like, oh, well, you know, move on. So I said to him, well, what are your options? You've got to make a decision of what are your options. And he said, well, I can do nothing about it. Well, you could. I could, uh, uh, I could talk to the teacher and tell her what happened. You could do that. But then, she, you know, she'll probably, sorry, she'll probably think less of me and have a bad opinion. I said, you know what? You've got to make a decision what you're going to do. I said, you could just chalk it up to your life and, and just never talk out loud. You're going to learn that lesson. Don't do that again. So he said, I'm going to talk to the teacher. I said, good. So he talked to the teacher. He told her what happened, and they ended up resolving the situation. She took the points off that he had gotten for that one thing, and it wasn't a big deal. But um, I, I emailed her ahead of time. I said, Kevin's going to want to talk to you today, because I just wanted her to have a heads up that if he's hanging around, I wanted her to prompt that. And she emailed me back, said, you know, that does not happen too often. Sent me this beautiful email. And in the end, I was able to tell Kevin, you know what? She thinks more highly of you now than before that took place. So anyways. Yep, we're going to roll quickly now. Um, help them develop their own convictions. That's part of asking questions. How do you feel about it? Because I'm opinionated. And I'll tell them how I feel about it, but how do you feel about it and why? It's important for them to develop that on their own. And, and in terms of school, a lot of times, they, you, have to, you have to fight your own battle. Why do you think that way? What's the ramifications of that? Why, do you, why have I taught you this is a bad idea? What does the Bible say? So it's important. Accept the difference in preferences. And this is, you know, pick your battles. Um, our kids dress differently than we did. Um, different music. If it's not against scripture and not a huge deal, Learn to roll with it, you know? See problems as learning opportunities. It's kind of the theme of this whole thing is that, you know, you have your child's attention. You have their attention when they've got a problem. It's a great time to engage them in the process of solving the problem. And it may, often it's not even going to be a problem that involves you or your parenting. It's like this person in school, says, oh, let's talk it out. How, what are the options? What should you do? Catch them doing good. This is really important for a team. When they do something good, if they've been having a bad attitude toward their siblings, and one day they're playing a game with them, say, you know what? It was so nice to see you guys playing together. That was awesome. Or you know what? You taught so-and-so how to do this. Just because they needed to learn it, that was awesome. I really appreciate that. Or they say something in a Bible class that they share with you, just really, teens really need to be encouraged. And it's easy because we're in kind of battle mode to say, you know what? The room is all cleaned up today. Well, that's supposed to be that way. No, you know, so you know what? Your room looks really nice today, unusually. So? No, we don't have that. No, don't add that, but it's in your, in your mind. It's like, that's the way it's supposed to be. I've been harping on it for six weeks. 
finally it's the way I want it, you gotta give them kudos. One thing we kind of do in our house is we we sing a little like oh <laughs> when something happens that's good. And they know that's a signal that wow. It's a praise moment. Like, if they're motivated to do something and they weren't told, like, that's a, ah, moment. Like, it's, it's just they know that that's what that means. And so they feel good about it. And it kind of gets a little bit of a laugh, too. They feel better about it when you do it because mine is not that good. Focus on the subtler issues and problems. Uh, a lot of times we can talk about, like, teen problems like drugs, sex, alcohol, the obvious. But... Sometimes the subtle things like being materialistic, like you wanting to look like you know your friends and have the latest fashion, those can be more subtle things that they're dealing with. So we have to also get them to realize the, the sinfulness of that as well. Share your own struggles, faults, shortcomings. This is a big deal because you're the parent. You know what's right. You know how to do it. You know how to fix the lawnmower. You know everything. It's important for them to see that we recognize our flaws and that we even share it with them. If we've been short with them, which happens frequently in my life, that I overreact or I jump in the fray or they're having a big battle, I jump in, I get angry. There's time, many times where I've had to take them aside one by say, you know what, I have to apologize to you. I flew off the handle. It was not right. I was angry and I should have cooled off and handled it a different way. It's really important to do that because they need to see that life is a battle. It's a battle for a teen. It's a battle for an adult. We're always fighting things. Just because we as adults have a better handle perhaps on our emotion, I hope, and maybe have a more mature perspective, more godly perspective about things, doesn't mean that we don't have our battles. We have to share with them, pray with them, say, pray for me about this. I've, been, I've yelled at you four times in the last three days about this, and I've been over the top. It's not that big of a deal. Pray that I'm calm, calmer about it. Model confession, repentance, and victory. They see it in us. They'll understand that we're fallible. We're not this holy as a now perfect person. Pray together about your collective issues. I mentioned that. Teach that every moment is God's moment. Well, that's just me about that. Okay. And that God has ways to teach us in big and small things that happen in life. Um, recently, something happened bad with a certain grade that one of our kids got. And he was like, crushed. Life is over. You know what? We're going to pursue this. Talk to the teacher. And um, it's, in the end, it's going to be fine. And you know what? Was dad right again? Yeah, he was right again. It worked out fine. <laughs> Help both ourselves and teens to hold both ourselves and teens to God's standards. It's important for them to see that that we are trying, we're striving, pressing to the mark. We want them to press, they need to see that we're pressing as well. Focus on the heart, their heart. It's so easy for us to look at the clothes that are picked up and the, the nitpicky things of life and the problems. We cannot focus on the problem. We have to focus on the heart. This problem is a result of a heart that's not right. We have to focus on the heart and think of that as a consideration. Do things together as a family. I know it's hard. Our, our daughter's working, and it's, her schedule is more crazy. She doesn't eat dinner with us as often, and Kevin's just starting to do some work too, and it's going to be harder for him. We have to find time to be together as a family still and discuss things and do things together, play games or whatever. 
encourage them to have personal devotions. Um, it's, it's important in life um, to have a time set aside to spend time with the Lord. I don't care when you do it. Find the time that works for you. But you really need to do that. They need to see us modeling that as well. As a family, discuss spiritual things. We, we try to read the Bible as we can around the dinner table when they're there. Um, and in the past, we more read the stories. Now we're trying to discuss, you know, what's the heart of the matter? What's the story here? What's the deal? Why did this person do this? And how can we learn from this story that's in the Bible? What's the impression? That what's the spiritual message that the Bible has for us? Speak God's word in love. We want them to love the word of God. And for us to be able to use it not as a bludgeon, as a, as a weapon against them, but as a tool to say, this is, this is where the answers are in life. Look at how many situations we have in life. We say, look right there. There's a solution. That's how we, the reason we're doing this is because the Bible says this is the way to handle it. It's an amazing tool. Identify the voices in your teen's life. This is a battle because all of a sudden now, from zero till three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, you have been the primary voice. But all of a sudden, they'll quote a song from this artist that they like. Say, oh, whoa. Or a teacher said this. Or a teacher said that. Musicians, culture, there's all kinds of voices in their head. See, um, see your teen's challenges as an ongoing project. And what we mean by that is when you have a project that you're working on, it's not a quick fix. It takes a plan, consistent action, follow-up assessment. And sometimes we talk about, it's like, you know, there's a situation with our kids. What are we going to do? How do we address it? How do we approach them? How do we continue to follow up and come up with a plan? Make a plan for temptation. Teach them that accountability is their responsibility, not mine as a parent. Teach how to be the salt and light in their world. They're going to come up with stuff where they're going to be a little different or have a different approach. Train them how to give answers. Talk out when the boy asks you out on a date, what are you going to say? My parents say I can't. No, that's a bad answer. So you know what? I'm convicted that now in my life I want to focus on being a good student, being a good Christian. That's what my focus is. It's a lot easier to get the boys to stop when that's the answer. To, my mom and dad won't let me. Well, maybe I should come over and talk to them. No, no that's not going to work. <laughs> Avoid the extremes. You know, you try to sequester your child. Don't watch TV. Don't watch movies. Don't go out with your friends. Don't read any books except the Bible. You try to do that, they're possibly going to become self-righteous or they will explode out of that box that you've built around them. The other side is assimilation. Um, you know what? Christians can do whatever we want. We're living in a world as long as we're reading the Bible and telling people about Jesus. Hallelujah. Um, if your child wants to dye their hair pink and have nose rings, they could still be a Christian, but are you, is it really important for you to follow every societal norm? Where's your heart? Do you need to stand out with pink hair because you're not getting enough attention? What, what's the heart of the matter? Biblical discernment, huge. Let's read Hebrews 5 quick as we wrap up. Time is up. Actually, you know what? Um, we're going to... It's going to be in there. You can read it. Ten wrap-up points real quickly. Change the lifelong process. Stay calm. Listen well and ask good questions. See problems as opportunities. Our families need to reflect redemptive community, forgiveness, deliverance, reconciliation, and restoration. There's a great verse that talks about that in Corinthians. One of the things in the book, he said, great quote, 
Don't be the agent of control, but be an ambassador of reconciliation. Don't be a know-it-all. Model humble, teachable spirit. Give opportunities for decision-making. Encourage, encourage, encourage. Keep Christ central. Pursue your children. In conclusion, let's just read Colossians as a closing comment. If you listen to this couple of verses, think of it as a prayer about your children. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. Oh, great. <laughs> we both get emotional. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us unto the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Our final statement is, enjoy gardening with your tender plants.